this whole chunk of scripture kind of all goes together. It's going to flow on a consistent thought, but I wanted to break it down just a little bit because there's there's several different aspects all with the same backdrop that will be touched on. And so we're not going to go super deep today, but there are some very good uh, practical things to draw from just these few verses. But we looked started last week about uh, about this idea of uh, those that were walking disorderly. They weren't following the commands, and uh, the word that's uh, translated there is tradition, same word that's used as ordinances in 1 Corinthians 11. And basically the things that the apostles had laid out as Paul uh, was teaching them, some were kind of criticizing it, some were abandoning it, some were pulling from that. And we looked at uh, one of the things that's brought up, a key thing here is, is people that are not busy become busy bodies. And, uh, and they weren't working at all. They were, uh, some people, maybe it was... Super spiritual, right? I quit my job because I'm just waiting for the return of the Lord. Is this mic on? Okay, because it got quieter. Oh, yeah, it's the echo. I keep forgetting about this echo here. Uh, uh, the sound panels came in, so thank you for those that purchased those. We'll get those installed here soon. But uh, <laughs> it's more distracting to me than you, I'm sure. Um, but, uh, but, but some are saying, you know, well, Lord's coming, and so I, w- I went ahead and quit my job, and I'm just waiting for the return, right? Doesn't that sound so spiritual? And Paul's pointing out, you're lazy. <laughs> Go get a job, right? We have all these admonitions throughout Proverbs. Hey, consider the ant thou sluggard. Uh, <laughs> you know, he's preparing for the winter. Uh, he's setting aside. He's working hard, you know. And uh, by the way, you ever see, a, you ever see an anthill or, or whatever? And, you know, as a kid, you might mess that thing up or tear it up. Or, or like we did in Iraq, we'd catch it on fire. And <laughs> it's weird. The, the ants in Iraq are like this big. They're huge. And when you catch their anthill on fire they'll come from everywhere to this hill, like they all know. And they're jumping in the fire to save the queen, right? And, uh, but anyways, what's interesting is about ants. You knock, mess up their pile or whatever. What do they do? Instantly start working to rebuild that thing, you know? And, uh, I mean, it's like you think they'd notice I'm standing right there. I might just mess that up again. Uh, but, no, they get back right back to work, right? And... Um, that's one of the examples that the Lord gives us that, hey, this is something to consider when you think about your diligence, when you consider your labor. And uh, so anyways, um, he's going to point to himself. And of course, Paul, Timothy, and Silas were there with him when they were at Thessalonica. They're with him now as he's writing to this church. And he's given this uh, kind of, these are some of his closing remarks, by the way, and he's challenging this church as he's, di- as he's um, uh, jumped into some very deep things, the return of Christ, the Antichrist, the rapture. He's talked about a lot of these things. And he's saying, guys, there's some among you that are disorderly, and here's one of the ways that they're disorderly. They're not working. And when you're not busy, you begin causing problems. You become a busy body. You get yourself involved in other people's affairs, other people's business. By the way, in this day and age we live in with social media and all this stuff, we've almost trained ourselves to get in other people's business. It's my job to go around and fix everybody on, on, on Facebook. No, it's not, right? I can't tell you how many times, uh, tell me if you relate, how many times I've written this well-thought-through response and then deleted it. <laughs> like, I probably shouldn't send that. And, uh, you know, it's not my job to police it. Okay, I'm not, I'm not a fact checker living in my mother's basement. Um, <laughs> uh, but, but, you know, we get involved in other people's things. Um, I've had to unfriend people that were nothing more than armchair theologians. Uh, there's one guy, he actually works for a, um, uh, a Bible college, a, a Christian university. 
You know, and every 15 minutes of every single day, he would have something. And what was interesting was I started seeing this pattern with this guy. Is this guy was causing doubt on, on the Bible. He was causing doubt on, uh, you know, he started going on this tangent about, like, our founders. And, he's, you know, he bought into the whole secularization of our founders and a lot of that kind of stuff. But anyways, I was like, you need to just go out and do something. <laughs> you know, so I was like, I don't need you uh, on my feed. But then, uh, then I'm reminded, why am I even looking at this? I should be doing something. <laughs> and so I need to get out and do something. But, um, uh, but he, he draws our attention here to this idea and, um, and some of the themes, of course, of Second Thessalonians, he's talking about their, their faith, their perseverance, and, uh, and really some practical Christian living here. And, and so here he's going to draw out, look, at, as believers, we need to be diligent about all things, but even, or especially, secular things. Sometimes we don't realize, you know, if we're not careful as Christians, we will separate the, our Christian living uh, from the rest of life. But, but, you know, for the believer, there's really no difference between the secular and the sacred. For us, we need to be so consistent in our Christian living that we realize that my secular job for an unsaved boss really is part of my ministry, part of why I'm here today and right now, right? Uh, that's where God has me. I am a missionary in my perspective, mission field. And I'm a test, you know, I'm to be a testimony. I'm to be a, 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 you know, a worker. And the Bible even talks about even if you have an unsaved master, you know, you serve Him as you serve the Lord. We don't serve as men-pleasers. Like, you know, with eye service, uh, uh, you know, I think back to my, my army days. There were times, I'll be honest with you, there wasn't a lot to do, but you had to be there. <laughs> so what do you do? You look busy or else they'll find something for you to do that's just simply time fillers. And so every time a boss will come around or a supervisor, what do you do? You know, I'm, I'm cleaning these tools or, I'm, you know, you find something to do. What is that? That's, that's eye service. That's, that's men pleasers. That's trying to look busy. That, that's not diligence, you see. And, uh, and we can fall tra- uh, prey to this. We can fall into this sort of a trap. So Paul begins by pointing to their own example of diligence. Look at verse number 7 again. For yourselves know how you ought to follow us. Now, specifically, he's talking about following us. Not in this sense, he's not talking about following their faith. He talked about that earlier. Uh, but he says this, you know how to follow us, for we behave not ourselves disorderly among you. So he's telling them they need to follow in their conduct, how they behave. Verse number 8, Neither did we eat any man's bread for naught or for nothing, but wrought with labor and travail night and day that we may not be chargeable to any of you, not because we have not power, to make ourselves an example unto you to follow us. And uh, so let me unpack what he's saying here. He said, we did not eat any man's meat for nothing. In other words, we didn't just do it for free. This was not a, you know, we didn't come to be a burden to you. And it's interesting, he says, not that we had no power. We'll get back to that. But, but, but he's saying here, he says, we, we uh, were diligent about our work. To what end? that they would not be chargeable to any of them. In other words, no one in the church of Thessalonica could look at the Apostle Paul and his compadres and say, you guys are just lazy and trying to get free meals. Nobody could look at them and say that. In fact, he says not chargeable to any of you. The idea is that everyone would have been in agreement. They worked for that meal. They worked hard. They were diligent. They, they, they labored and travailed among us. We saw it with our eyes. And so it gives that example of their, of their, uh, their labor and how, how well, if you would, they labored among them. Um, they, in, in, when they considered their conduct, when he said, we were here for examples for you, uh, it was a great example of, 
of their, uh, of, you know, how you ought to work, how you ought to behave is what he was saying to them. And, and let me just say this. I think this is a huge, there becomes a big disconnect sometimes in some churches that might get a little bit more comfortable. And, uh, and, and you see a, you can see a staggering off of the diligence of the pastor or of uh, the leadership, right? Well, I've got a paycheck. I've got you know, um, a retirement fund. By the way, let me just say this. It's a lot easier to talk about some of these things when I'm bivocational and <laughs> than when I'm full-time. But it, it does become a problem, um, it, or it can become a problem. And so he kind of shows some significance of, hey, we came and we worked. We weren't chargeable to you, which is very important if you think about it. This is the start of a new church. Right. So say, suppose I, you know, Paul, what did, what did he do for the first three weeks? He was in Thessalonica. He preached in the synagogues every Sabbath day. And then Monday through, you know, or Sunday through Friday, he'd be discipling and following up. And I mean, they were diligent doing stuff. Of course, we also know that Paul was a tent maker. I'm not sure if he made tents here, but he worked. Right. And uh, and so so imagine imagine you guys are the group that was called out, pulled out from this synagogue. Right. And. Day one, I sit down and say, now, guys, we need to take a collection and pay, pay me. How do you think that would go over with a brand new Christian? It's a little tough, right? You haven't gone through and kind of shown the purpose of this and the principles of giving and sowing and reaping and all that kind of stuff. And we say, uh, you know, did, did this guy have ulterior motives when he came here? I thought his job was to point us to Jesus. And now he's saying, I need you to pay me. I need you to pay me. I need you to pay me. Okay? Notice in verse number... What verse was that? Notice verse number nine. Not because we have no power. That's the same word he uses in 1 Corinthians. And it's the word for authority or right. He says, not that I didn't have a right to get a free meal from you. Now, why would he have this right? He impacts it very well in 1 Corinthians. We'll go there in just a minute. But, but, uh, but he points to the law, he points to the scriptures, he gives this example of not muzzling the ox that treads out the corn. Uh, in other words, when you do work, uh, and he'll talk about when you do work in spiritual matters, you should recompense in carnal matters or money. And he, so he says this, he says, not that I had no right, but here's what Paul's biggest concern was, that he'd not get in the way of the gospel, that he would not be a stumbling block to these people. And, uh, and so he's telling them, listen, we worked, we gave an example to you. We didn't want it to be questionable at all, right? Because there'll, be there'll be some in this church that no matter what, they'll say, well, we need to support the pastor. We need to pay, pay the pastor a salary. But there's going to be some that'll, that'll look at it and say, what does he even do all day? Well, I'll tell you what I do. I, I join the other pastors and we just play golf every day. That's what we do. <laughs> what do you even do all day? Um, he, but, but there are always going to be somebody that's like that. So what does Paul do? He says, I want to make sure I'm so far above reproach. Because think about it. He was not with them very long. What's really interesting is when we zoom out a little bit, do you remember where Paul was before he came to Thessalonica? On his second missionary journey. This is the time when it would be good if I had the map up on the wall or something. No. He was at Philippi. Remember what he says in Philippians chapter 4. He says to them, that nobody, you know, from the beginning of his ministry, of the gospel, nobody communicated with him except this church, as far as giving and receiving. In other words, when he left Philippi and he goes to Thessalonica, he's already a supported missionary from Philippi, which is kind of a cool thought, right? He, they, from the very beginning, 
they started supporting him financially. So whatever the reason was, he felt at liberty to teach them about support, about financial support. But this church at Thessalonica, there was a different perspective here. There was something different. And he didn't want to be chargeable to any of them. He didn't want them to be able to say, well, Paul and Silas and, and, uh, and Timothy, they're just a bunch of lazy um, charlatans just trying to get money from us, yada, yada, yada. And he says, I want to be an example here. What's interesting, though, is going to be his, the, the example that he uses is he's going to transition it into all other areas. That as I worked my tail off, as I was diligent with these men, as we planted this church, as we got things going, as an example for you guys, this is how your life ought to be. You say, well, I'm not in full-time ministry. That's fine. You still need to work. You still need to support your family. You still need to do your part even in the church. And, um, and so he emphasizes his diligence here that they didn't want to become chargeable to anybody, not because we have no power, but to make ourselves in samples for you to follow. So his reasoning was, I had the right to take a salary, just like he said to the Corinthian church, but chose not to. I had a right to take a salary, but I chose not to because I'd rather be an example. Guys, this is what work looks like. I'll tell you what, I've been around some pastors. Their schedule exhausts me. I don't know how they do it. You know, they burn the candle at both ends, and it's like, you know, how are you up at 4 a.m.? You were just up counseling until 11 p.m., right? <laughs> it's like, what are you doing, you know? And I've been around some guys like that, and that, uh, you know, they're incredibly organized. And by the way, if, uh, you know, if you borrow from one end, you've got to repay it in the other end. And so, so these guys, they learn how to, you know, uh, how, to, how to take care of that, or else they're going to they're rob their health, because we also have to steward that. You see, stewardship goes all the way around. But... Um, but uh, he showed this, and, and, and so, so here Paul is giving any, themselves as an example. They didn't want to be a burden to others in the context of ministry as he's there ministering. I want you to see this. Turn to 1 Corinthians 9. I started alluding to it already. 1 Corinthians 9. Hold your place there in 2 Thessalonians. Now, 1 Corinthians 9 is in the middle of a section where Paul uses three chapters to deal with this issue of not being a stumbling block to somebody else. And he talks about a couple of things. He talks about the importance of like um, um, meat offered to idols. Uh, and, he, and he said, you know, look, those, that idol is nothing. We know that. The meat is nothing. You have total liberty to eat that meat. But if you do it in front of the wrong people, you could cause to, you could be a stumbling block. You could hurt their faith. Why? Because uh, there at Corinth, they had all kinds of idol worship, and the meats were a part of that. They would sacrifice meat. But what would happen was kind of interesting. Sometimes there would be so much meat offered, which would also feed the priests of these pagan idols and all these other things, that they would turn around and resell the meat in the marketplace. So you'd get discounted meat that was offered to idols. Now, if you're like me, I'm all about budget. I'm, or I'm all about, uh, you know, good deals, right? And so, you know, my wife, she'll see the meat that's marked down at the store. Hey, it's still good. I know it's sell-by date is tomorrow, but that's still good. Let's get that stuff half off, all right? How many of you with me, right? That's good meat. Let's get that stuff. That's what these people do. The, the, the deal seekers would get this stuff from the market. However, it's been made aware in some way that this has been offered to an, to an idol. Now, those who had liberty in Christ realized, hey, the idol's nothing, the meat is nothing, God's all about saving money, <laughs> let's, let's have this meat. But you have a, a neighbor who still practices that religion, and you have him over for dinner or whatever, and he knows this. What have you just now done? Well, your faith means nothing to you, because you're not even going to separate from, from what I do. 
or you have somebody who got saved out of that, same thing. They know there's a correlation with them, and they can't disconnect the, word, the meat from the worship. And there's this, there's this, uh, there's this inherent thing. So, so he's telling them, hey, be very careful with this stuff, because at this time in this culture, you might think, this doesn't make any sense to us. Correct, it doesn't make any sense to us. We can translate that to other things. I'm not going to take the time to do that right now. But there are certain things that are going to have certain connotations uh, that we need to be very sensitive to and aware of when it comes to others as it relates to our Christian liberty. We don't want to be a stumbling block. We don't want to impact someone who doesn't believe and keep them from believing. And we don't want to impact somebody who believes but, but maybe has a history of that or has some kind of weakness or struggle or what have you. So he uses the example of meat. But then he takes it to an incredibly personal example because he doesn't want to be a stumbling block. And the example is, guys, when I was with you, I made tents. Eight hours a day, seven days a week, you know, whatever, whatever schedule was. But he worked hard making tents. So he didn't have to take a salary from them. Later on, by the way, he apologized for that. He says, I should have been taking a salary from you guys because it's part of their growth as well. But he, t- but he tells them, I didn't want to be chargeable. I didn't want to be an offense to somebody. So even though I had the right as the apostle uh, to take a salary, I chose not to because I didn't want to be a stumbling block to anybody. He ends chapter 9 with, to the Jew, I became a Jew to win the Jew. To those that are without the law, I, w- I was without the law, that I might win them that are outside the law. I become all things all men. Here's, the, here's his motivation, that by any means I might win some. He don't want to be a stumbling block in any way. So if that means no pay, then I will not take a salary. I will work a job so I don't become a stumbling block to somebody. That was his mindset. So look at uh, 1 Corinthians 9, look at verse number 1. Am I not an apostle? Am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus Christ, our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? In other words, they're the fruit of his labor. If I be not an apostle unto you, yet doubtless I am to you, for the seal of mine apostleship ye are in the Lord. Mine answer to them that do examine me is this. Have we not power to eat and drink? Have we not the right to do that? Have we not power to lead about a sister, a wife, as well as other apostles and the brethren of the Lord and Cephas? Uh, as the brethren of the Lord, uh, I like this verse, right? Here he is, a spiritual leader, and he said, don't I, don't I have a right to have a wife? That's a good one for our Catholic friends, right? Yes, these spiritual leaders had wives. Cephas, who, who's Cephas, by the way? Anybody know who Cephas was? That's Peter. We know Peter had a wife, right? That was one of Jesus' early miracles. He healed Peter's mother-in-law. And uh, if you have a mother-in-law, chances are you have a wife, all right? It'd be a shame to have the one without the other. Anyways, <laughs> he says, or, uh, or I only and, Bar- and uh, Barabbas, have not we power to forbear working? In other words, shouldn't I have the right to not have to work so I can give myself wholly to this ministry? Who goeth the warfare any time at his own charge? Can you imagine a country calling on somebody, hey, we need you to come fight. By the way, you've got to pay your own way. I need you to buy a plane ticket and come to where, whatever, wherever the unit is going to go out from, and I need you to pay for your own rations. I need you to pay for it. No, no, it's the responsibility of the country. If they're calling you to defend them, that they're going to take care of you. And then if you die to take care of your family, that's a great responsibility that a country has. He says, who planted the vineyard and eateth not the fruit thereof? If you own a vineyard, you have the right to take some of the fruit. Right? You plant that thing, you, you, you've, you've, you've taken care of it, uh, or who feedeth the flock and eateth not the milk. So he's given all these examples uh, uh, about livelihood. I put the effort in, I should get paid. 
So I these things, uh, so uh, say I these things as a man, or saith the, not the law the same also. So he says, is this just a flesh talking, or does the law even talk to this? For it is written in the law of Moses, thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treads out the corn. Uh, doth God take care for oxen? So here's the idea from the law. Moses is, uh, in Moses' law, he says, look, when the oxen's plowing the field, don't put a muzzle on him. If he's working for you, he needs energy. He needs rest, you know, to, to, to energy to keep working for you. So he's allowed to, from time to time, go down and scoop up and eat some of that corn. That's the idea there. So, so you work and you get paid from the very work you are doing. And um, he says, or saith it, he it all together for our sakes. For our sakes, no doubt, this is written. So in other words, he was saying, he's not saying this because you're, you're going to starve your oxen. Because anybody with any common sense knows if I don't feed my animal, he'll die. Okay? He says he says this for our sake. Why was that in the law? For our sake, as an example, is what he's saying. Uh, this is written. He that, uh, that, that he that ploweth the plow in hope, he that trusteth in hope, should be a partaker of his hope. If we, so now he's going back to him, if we have sown unto you spiritual things, is it a great thing if we shall reap your carnal things? See, if you've been helped spiritually or been fed spiritually, then you should use your carnal things to pay for that. Notice what he says then. If others be partakers of this power or this right authority over you, are we not rather? So in other words, uh, to the Church of Corinth here, he says, you guys have had other paid preachers come through and you paid them. How much more important, you know, how, how much we, right? Nevertheless, we have not used our power or our right or our authority but suffered all things, lest we should hinder the gospel of Christ. If it's about the money, let the money go away, because what's more important is the gospel getting to you, and the gospel going out from you. And he says, Do you not know that they which minister about holy things live of the things of the temple? Now he's going back to the temple. He's going back even to the Old Testament. That, uh, that when the sacrifices would come in, the priests and those that would minister would get a portion of that meat. And they would live off those sacrifices that Israel would bring. And, they, and, uh, and that would support them. And, um, which is kind of interesting because uh, when you look at the Old Testament, when you look at God first establishing Israel and they gave them all their land, did you know there was one of the 12 tribes that didn't get any land? Who was the, who was the tribe? Levi. Why did the Levites not get any land? Well, there's a practical reason because they were dispersed through all the tribes because they're the ministers of the ta tabernacle. They're the ministers of those things. But here's what God said to them. I will be your portion. What a thought. I will take care of you. And God used the people as they ministered directly to the people. God used the, excuse me, the people to feed him, feed the, the Levites. And so that's kind of what he's pointing to there. Uh, they that minister of the temple. And they which are the altar are partakers with the altar. Even so hath the Lord ordained, get this now, that they which preach the gospel should live of the gospel. I heard one preacher one time, he was preaching that text. And his, you know, his, his, his take on that text was, was uh, they that preach the gospel should live of the gospel. In other words, if you're preaching the gospel, you better live an uh, you know, uh, upright life. You better not be, you know, you live of the gospel. Now, that's a biblical truth, but that's not what that verse is saying. It's not talking about the way you live. It's talking about if you are ministering the gospel, you should live off the gospel. You see? And that, that's a very important principle that's given. He gives all these examples for it. But then he says this, but I have, not, have used none of these things. He gave a bunch of good reasons. He says, I didn't use any of these. 
Neither have I written these things, that it should be so done unto me, for it were better for me to die than that any man should make my glorying void. You know, it's amazing to me. I think about all these millionaire preachers. I think about these guys that are they're glorying off of it, if you would. They're getting uber wealthy off of ministry. Now, I'm all for, you know, hey, it's wonderful if you're able to have some nice things, take care of your family. By the way, a lot of pastors don't have a retirement plan. A lot of them is taking every penny to just kind of survive and do ministry. And they really do have the conviction, the mindset of Paul, hey, look, I'd rather die. Like, that's all I really care about. And God will take care of me tomorrow, and he'll take care of me the next day. And, and, but sadly, there comes a point. There will come a point, by the way, where I don't have my mind intact. Or I'm not effective as a pastor. And, and, and I hope I'll have enough wisdom to, to say, hey, it's time to step down and to pass, pass it on to somebody else, right? But then what? If I've not planned, if I've not prepared, and, and those kinds of things, you see? Because some are just kind of there. So I'm, I'm thankful when someone makes enough and they're able to put aside and they're able to prepare for the future. And, um, you know, it's not like a jealousy thing. Oh, look at the, the car that he's driving or, you know, anything like that. But, um, but then there are those, and we know them, charlatans, that they are making a mockery of the ministry. And, uh, and they think that it's God's approval and God's blessing that I have a jet. In fact, let's make it two jets. And, <laughs> you know, uh, we, those preachers are out there, right? And um, I saw one clip. It was disgusting. I think I've told you about it. The guy was basically coming down on his church for not buying him this $30,000 watch that he had, he had led on to the church that he wanted. I was like, are you kidding me right now? A $30,000? The birds of the air have nests. Foxes have dens. But the Son of Man had not where to lay his head. That was the ministry of Jesus. Now, am I saying the preacher should be homeless? No. Is that God's will? No. But it's just an ama amazing thing, you know, how many times we see, when we come back to the Scriptures, we get a perspective. I mean, a $30,000 watch, what could that do for missions? $30,000 watch, what could that do for the, the poor in their own community and, and feeding people and, you know, whatever? And all I'm just saying is there's a plethora of things we can put that to. Uh, I don't need $30,000 until the time. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? Again, I'm all for nice things, and sometimes someone may move on somebody's heart to, to really bless the preacher. I have, a, I have a pastor friend. Someone in the church bought him a Cadillac, and I was like, praise the Lord. That's wonderful. But even that, you know, here's what's tough. Just like Paul was afraid of being a stumbling block, even that can be a stumbling block because not everybody knows the story, and now you're driving around in a pink Cadillac. Sometimes I feel guilty. You all know I, I, I love my, my Mini Cooper. Sometimes I feel guilty because I'm driving the thing I really want. Folks, that car is it's worth under $10,000. <laughs> it's not like I'm driving this $100,000 car. But even in my own heart, sometimes I'm like, does this feel like, you know, am I trying to... All I'm just saying is I just do not want to be a stomach block in any way. And, and there are these guys that just abuse it. And then they're lazy on top of it. It is amazing. I've heard so many stories of people going to visit a missionary. And you start to realize they're not doing anything here. They're on a paid eternal vacation. <laughs> Charles Spurgeon said this, laziness is the scourge of the ministry. It is. It is. 
Now, it can be tough. Remember, we talked a little bit about last week. If you're not busy doing stuff, you start analyzing everything. You start thinking, well, I think the preacher should be doing this, and I think the church should do this, and I think the Sunday school class should be run like this. And we start, our mind starts running with all those things. And you all start wondering, what is pastor doing anyway? Right? And now it's a little bit easier because I work 40 hours a week, then I start doing ministry. All right? So I think I feel like, you know, uh, but, but, uh, but we can fall into that trap. And by the way, at any time, ask me. I'll tell you what I've been doing. Um, but I also want to say this. I hope you come because you're getting fed. I hope you want to get fed. I hope you pray for me to be wise about my time and to guard that because you need something. But, but can I just say, anyone who's truly in the ministry, I'm just kind of being real. I know I'm talking about myself a little bit here. But anyone who's God-called in the ministry, he's not in it for himself. I can't be. Folks, it's so much easier. You know how much less criticism it would be if I could just go work a regular job and just live life? But folks, I invest, and I love you guys, and, and, I, and I want God to work in your lives. And it's so hard. Can I just, I'll just be real with you here for a second. I know I've been kind of being real. It's so hard when I poured myself in somebody and loved on them. And then the devil just kind of gets in there and gets them to start believing a lie. And the horrible things that are just said about me. And then they leave all upset. And you're, and you're like, those hours that I spent and invested. And I have to step back and say, Lord, they're your sheep. I love them. I invested. I'll tell you what, though, it is exhausting. It hurts. It's so hard not to take it personal. But Paul said it best. The more I love, the less I am loved. I'd gladly spend and be spent for you. Folks, that is the commitment of a true God-called servant. I, 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 I have to fight the flesh just like any of you. I have to fight struggles and sins and, and temptations and those kinds of things. But that... Truly, that's my heart. I want God to do His work in your life, and I don't want to be a stumbling block. I don't want to get in the way, and I want to be very diligent about it. I hope that when you look at me, you'll say, there's a hard worker. Now, again, you don't see everything I do. But I want to be like, you know, Paul and Timothy, they were among them, and they said, uh, they said here, here, you saw us work. We didn't need any man. We weren't chargeable to anybody. In fact, if somebody were to, like maybe somebody just kind of visited, and they're like, look at them. You guys are feeding them. Have they even done anything? Uh, probably everyone in the congregation would have said, don't even start. These guys are working circles around us. That, that, that was the mentality there. They would not have said of them, oh, there's some lazy preachers coming to town. Boy, there's so many rabbits I'm, I'm seeing running around right now. I'm not going to chase them. I'm going to continue. There's a lot of even exterior things that we're not careful. We start to look at, oh, there's a lazy preacher. There's a, you know, somebody who doesn't take it seriously. I've been hearing from different people. There's a danger when you get older in the ministry, you've been doing it for so long, that you kind of stop trying. I've heard from different people at different churches in Lower 48 and family members who have actually left churches in recent days. And 
their pastors kind of fell into this sort of lazy trap. They don't prepare for the sermons. They don't feed the people anymore. And it's not, it's not this idea that, oh, I just don't get fed from you anymore. Because that, that sometimes that's sometimes it's a good uh, thing, but sometimes it, maybe it's you. But they say every single service, it's the same message. It doesn't matter where the text is. It's just the same message that they just go to. And that's when you know, hey, laziness has come in. Laziness has come in. Um, but he's challenging them with this and, and really highlight the importance of, hey, you take care of yourself. You need to feed yourself. You need to do this. So they led by example, and, uh, but especially leaders. Let me just say this. Uh, uh, whether it be leading in your home, leading at the workplace, leading in the church, you ought, to be, uh, you ought to be able to take care of yourself. You ought to be an example for others to follow. I remember when I was a kid, I was in, um, uh, we were at a church, and there was a youth group there. And the youth leaders, uh, husband and wife, they didn't have a job, and they were on welfare. And I remember my dad had such a problem with that. He said, they shouldn't be leading anything until they get a job. That's their number one priority right now. They need to go out and get a job, or they shouldn't be leading anything. Now, I understand sometimes people may fall in hard times and uh, there may be some difficulties and, and there may be need for some of these programs, but those programs are meant to be temporary and to kind of help sustain you so you can, you can get back up on your feet and go, I understand there are layoffs, I understand there's different things like that, but these people are like just living on welfare. And there are youth leaders in the church and they say, they need to get a job. I, remember, I still remember that as a kid. My dad was so bothered by that. Um, look, at, uh, look at 1 Peter 5 real quick, 1 Peter 5. We doing okay this morning? All right. First Peter five. Look at uh, look at verse number three. Well, let me back up. Let's get the context. Verse number one: the elders. That's the ones that would oversee. That uh, elder is interchangeable with bishop, with pastor. Uh, the elders which are among you, I exhort, who am also an elder. Talking about Peter being an elder also, and a witness of the suffering of Christ, and also partaker of the glory which shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God. So he talks about he's an elder. The word there, feed, is the verb form where we get the word pastor. Feed the flock of God. Pastor the flock of God, which is among you, taking the oversight. Oversight is where we get the word bishop. So we have elder, pastor, bishop right here. Uh, Taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly. Not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. In other words, this motivation should not be money. It doesn't mean you don't get paid. It means the motivation should never be money, but of a ready mind. By the way, when money is the motivation, I promise you, you will compromise. You will compromise. I've had to face that in some tough decisions I've had to make. Am I, am I afraid to lose a paycheck here? Or am I afraid to step outside of what God has given me? Am I afraid to violate my own conscience? Right? Um, but a ready mind. Verse 3 is what I wanted to show you. Not as being lords over God's heritage. Boy, I wish some pastors need that preached to them. <laughs> Not as being lords over God's heritage. In other words, a master. You guys are God's heritage. You guys are God's flock. I'm just the under-shepherd. Not as being lords over God's heritage, but get this now, but being in samples to the flock. Anybody know the difference between an example and an ensample? They're very closely tied. Some translations will render this example. But an ensample is, a, is like a model, something you can look to, uh, like a picture. 
uh, if you would, and say, oh, that's what that's supposed to look like. I can actually look at it. An example is, is I'm here in front of you. We're kind of doing this thing, and you're watching me. But this is like something you can point to and break down. And here's the sample that you can, that you can look at. He says this, as a, as a pastor, as I lead, I lead by giving you a model. I lead by and sample. So it's never going to be, it never, it never can be, do as I say, not as I do. You see? Now, sometimes it might look like that for organizational reasons. You know, you might get to a place where the pastor can't do everything. So what's he doing? He's saying, well, let's organize this here and let's do this over here. Well, what are you doing? Oh, I'm plenty busy. You can come with me if you'd like. Um, you know, see what this looks like. But, uh, but there's a lot going on. It does become an organizational aspect. That's the oversight thereof. And that may be break, broken down by... Okay, we're going to have someone that kind of leads this area, and, uh, and they, they answer to me in the sense of uh, if I'm to oversee, there needs to be a, a consistent a continuity, there needs to be a flow that says they are serving in that area in the stead of, of the pastor, the overseer. There's a, there's a consistent flow. Uh, someone said it this way once, that, that, that everything, every aspect of the ministry should be extension of the pulpit ministry. Uh, otherwise, otherwise, there's a breakdown. Otherwise, it's chaos. We don't know what's going on here. We don't know what the mission is. Where are we headed, right? And so there needs to be an understanding of what is the heart of the leader that God has put there, and then we're working together to that end. Yes, there are going to be other leaders in this thing, but there's a cohesiveness that flows from that plan, as Christ is the head shepherd, okay? And, uh, and so, so he says this. He says, you're not lording over them, but you're an example, an example. That's a tremendous, tremendous thought. In, uh, in 1 Thessalonians 5, if you want to just turn back a page from if you're in 1 Thessalonians again. In 1 Thessalonians 5, we looked at this uh, a while back, uh, in verse number 12. And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. So there's some people there that are, that are over them in the Lord and admonish. These are the spiritual leaders. Notice what it says there, though, to know them that labor among you. There is a labor, a work that is taking place among them. And so, so think about this, this impact of this godly example for the spiritual growth within that church body. right? There are those that are laboring, that are working hard among you as examples. And, and, and I just want to say this, a healthy church is going to look like this. It's not everything is just about me. In every ministry, in every area, I should be looking at people. I love 2 Timothy 2.2. 2. Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who should be able to teach others also. So while I'm trying to lead the church, you know what I'm also doing? I'm looking for potential leaders as well. So there's some areas I'm investing in Nick. And I'm saying, Nick, is, I think he's got some potential for maybe this area of ministry over here. And, and I'm looking at, at others. You know, I'm looking at Wes. Where is he at right now in his walk? And where, you know, how can I help uh, uh, prepare him? And then as things get going from there, we start saying, okay, who are you now training also? Who's your Timothy? And, and, and what are we doing? We are, we're, quite frankly, if I'm doing a good job, I should be working myself out of a job. Right? That, that really is my goal. If something's going to outlive me here, then I need to start preparing for that now. I, I'm already praying for the next pastor. You know, maybe it's going to be one of these little kids that's doodling in church service. I don't know. Maybe it's going to be someone like uh, uh, Strider back there. You know, I can't sit still in a church service. That's why God made me a pastor. Maybe, maybe the same's going to happen to you. 
<laughs> All I'm saying is it's not, it cannot be about me. It's not about the pastor, it's about the master. <laughs> we we got to get that. However, God gave pastors, and this is the process the, the, that he had given. So let's, let's consider some things. Uh, so, so he gives the example. Paul says, me, Silas, Timothy, we've been examples to you of what hard work looks like, and we didn't do it for some kind of carnal thing. We didn't want to be chargeable to you. Then he goes on. In verse number 10, we see the command to work. Now, how many of you are familiar with this verse? For, he says, uh, for even when we are with you, this we command. Am I in the right one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, for the, we were with you, this we command, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. How many of you are familiar with that verse? Hey, if a man doesn't work, he shouldn't eat. Uh, by the way, I try to emphasize that even when people call the church. Uh, you know, we're, we're still a new church, so we're not getting these calls yet. But, uh, but it, give it time, people start calling. Uh, my, you know, I need heating oil, I need food, I need whatever. Uh, and they think that's just what churches are for, right, to get all these things out. And, uh, and I'll ask what they're doing for work. Um, you know, when, when we... If we get to the place where we have a benevolent budget and we're able to, you know, give some of those things, uh, you better believe I will have them come down to the church and do some work, and then they can have some money. If they're not willing to do some work, you know, well, I'll just call someone else. Okay. What does it say? If you don't work, you don't eat. And it's not talking about people that can't work. Uh, the scriptures do speak to that as well, right? It talks about taking care of those that are a widow indeed. It talks about other things. Uh, taking care of your own. If you don't take care of your own, you're worse than an infidel. Those kinds of things. There are those that we should be taking care of that can't. But the idea is it says if you don't, if you won't work, you shouldn't eat. Right? That's a very important principle. And God's people especially should be seen as diligent, not lazy. God's people should be seen as, as hard workers. And so a very straightforward command. We don't really need to break this down. This is a very, uh, very important thing. He says, hey, do your own work. See, if I'm just going house to house because I don't want to work, this is a lot easier, by the way. You feed me, I'll go to your house, and then you feed me, I'll you know, make my rounds, and by the time I come back around, it's been a while, so he can feed me again, and, and, and what are we doing? We're making Democrats. I saw, the, I saw a little cartoon clip about this lady who kept feeding these birds, and the birds kept coming, and they kept coming, and then they, like, expected. And when they didn't feed the feed, they're, like, they're squawking away, and they're expecting it. And by the way, what happens when a whole bunch of birds keep feeding in one spot? What does the ground start looking like? See, that's what happens to society when you just keep and keep giving. And they, then they demand it, they expect it, and all that's left is all the droppings. Okay? Um, but uh, but um, here, you know, he's challenging them. Hey, guys, you need to do your own work. Um, <laughs> Ephesians 4.28. Let me just turn there real quick. Ephesians 4, and verse number 28, the Bible says, Let him that stole, so he was a thief, steal no more. But is that the end of it? Is that, does that solve it? What does God say? He says, But rather let him labor, working with his hands, the things which are good, that he may give to him that needeth. So here's a problem. Here's a guy who's got a problem with laziness. Here's a guy who has a problem with stealing. He says, Here's how you solve it. You go get a job, and you start giving away your money. That's interesting. Same thing to the liar. He says, Hey, if you lie... Start telling the truth, everyone, to your neighbor. You can't just stop lying. You've got to start intentionally telling the truth. You've got to do the opposite. In uh, Colossians 3.23, here's what the Bible says there. And whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. If you're lazy on the job, you might say, well, I work. If you're lazy on the job, 
Can you at the end of the day stand up and, to, and say, Lord, I did this serving you today? So that's a good test, right? How, how, how diligent were you today? Can you step back and say, God, I work today as though you were my supervisor. Because you know he's supervising. You know he's watching. Lord, today I work with integrity. That's a good challenge for us. In fact, from the beginning, this was God's plan. That man works. Uh, six days shalt thou labor. And the seventh belongs to the Lord. That goes all the way back to the beginning. The, the, the principle that God laid out from his example of the six days of creation. Um, and then he talks about the connection between work and nourishment. You work, you get to eat. You don't work, you don't eat. Um, there's a great importance of personal responsibility in this thing. And you contribute if you expect to get paid. It's amazing all these people, you know, like, we want, you know, these $15 hour minimum wage, and they're messing up my order at McDonald's, okay? <laughs> um, it's like, you know, diligence. You earn it. You grow into it. Um, and let's wrap this up as we consider, you know, for our own Christian life. Uh, God desires that we be diligent in all areas of the Christian life, right? Yes, there's a practical example. I shouldn't be taking a government handout. I should do my own work, and I should eat, you know, and supply, take care of myself. As a Christian, that is a godly testimony, okay? But what does that mean in my day-to-day? Luke 16, verse 10, I like what Jesus said. He said, He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. But he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. You say, we say, Lord, uh, give me more. Can you trust me more? Can you trust you with the little? I like what one guy said. He said, you're praying for that brand new car. How are you taking care of the beater that you're driving today? The thought, stewardship, right? And, uh, and it's those faithfulness in the little things. You might say, well, nobody notices the little things. Oh, no, there's one that notices the little things. God is not unfaithful to forget your service and labor of love. He notices all the little things. And so we need to apply this principle of diligence not only in, 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 in our work life, we need to work for what we've received, but we also need to do in our spiritual lives. How diligent are you in developing and cultivating your walk with the Lord? Is, is church just an afterthought? Is your spiritual growth an afterthought? Is it just kind of like, oh, if a time I'll crack open my Bible? Or am I diligent in this thing? God, I want you to work in my life, and I want your best. And then, and then I want to serve you. Well, how do I serve him? We talked about it in Sunday school. How can you you know, serve God apart from people? You really can't. Look at Romans 12 real quick. Romans 12. In Romans 12, we see, um, we see a list of seven spiritual gifts and the interaction with, with one another. It talks about in verse 4, we being many members are one body, but they have all not the same office. We being many are one body in Christ. It talks about differing gifts. If it's prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith. Ministry, let us wait on our ministry. He goes through this whole list. Uh, jump down to verse number 11. It says this, Not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Think about that now. Our service to the Lord it shouldn't be slothful. It shouldn't be passive. It should be fervent. And notice what it says, in spirit. You see, it's the idea... You know, I could tell my children to go clean their room, and there's a difference between slothfully cleaning their room. If my son had a spirit animal, he'd be a sloth. Slothfully cleaning their room and diligently cleaning their room. With, uh, but it says diligent in spirit. What would that look like? All right, Dad, I'm on it. 
And he goes and maybe he's whistling a song or maybe he's playing, I don't know, and he's just, he's just going at it and he's cleaning that room and he's being diligent, right? There's the bare minimum, but then there's the good attitude that gets it done, gets it done well, gets it done right. You see what I'm saying? And, 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 and this is in the context of our spiritual gifts. How are we doing in serving one another? How are we doing in our ministry within the church, within the body? And what a, what a tremendous challenge. And so we take the same principle that works in the world, and it's important in the world because that's where our testimony is, and it says, now do that in the church also. Do it with one another. Um, think about this now. Look at Ephesians 4. This is the last place I'll have you turn. Ephesians 4. I know we've turned to several places today. This is why I wanted to kind of take my time in these passages because it's some good practical stuff. Ephesians 4, and he talks about the church. Verse number 11, and I want you to get this now. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Now, in this day that we live in, um, there are no more apostles, there are no more prophets. And in fact, in Ephesians, uh, if we were to jump back to verse, uh, two chapters, Ephesians 2.20 says this, and are built, talking about the church, are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. God has already laid that foundation. We have a completed Bible. We have the scriptures. And that's what the purpose of the prophets and apostles was. It was to, 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 to speak by inspiration to give us the scriptures that we have today. So God's laid that foundation today. And what remains is this, evangelists and pastors and teachers. The evangelist, that's an outward. That's proclaiming the truth. That's giving the good news, the gospel message to those that are without. So there's an outward aspect. But then there's the pastors and teachers. That's those that feed and those that teach. That's an inward focus. And every ministry within the church will be under one of those two categories. Is it an outward focus or an inward focus? Is it evangelistic or is it growth related? But notice what it says here. For to what end is this purpose? Verse 12, for the perfecting of the saints. Okay, yeah, I come to church because I want to grow. Perfecting there means maturity, means completion. For the maturity of the saints. We say, okay, I come to church, I want to grow. For, get this now, if you're going to grow, for the work of the ministry. You know, everyone in here should be doing the work of the ministry. The work of the ministry. For the edifying or the building up of the body of Christ. Till we come to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and do a perfect man, talking about that body, mature man, under the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Excuse me, that's God's purpose for us coming together. To grow up and be used up for the Lord. That's the purpose. See, as a, as a church, we need to be able to serve one another. We need to, uh, like it says in Galatians 6, 2, bear you one another's burdens. How do I do that? I need to be strong to bear someone else's burdens. I need to be doing my own work. I need to be diligent about my own things so I can support another. If you come to the place where you now need the support, and that's fine, we all have those times, then you are supported. In fact, if we continue in Galatians 6, it goes on, every man should bear his own burden. The idea there is it may be a temporary burden bearing. Okay, it's kind of like this. Nick, why don't you come up here? It's kind of like this. Nick has been bearing a burden. He's getting tired. He's getting weak. His knees are starting to tremble. Uh, he's, he's, you know, you ever been so tired you're kind of doing this, right? You work so hard. So here's the idea of bearing his burden. 
I want you to rest on my back for a minute. All right. I need you to catch your breath, okay? Does that feel better? Right? Now, at some point, he's getting his strength back. And now it's time for you to bear your own burden again. Okay? You feel, you feel, are there not times in our lives where we need that? Even when I was in the army, we were doing a ruck march or whatever, there's times you got to stop and rest and hydrate and change your socks so you don't get blisters. And then you continue on. All right, thanks. You can be seated. Folks, that's the idea. And there will be times. Don't feel bad about it. There, can be, there have been times, church, where you have so carried mine and my wife's burden. You've so helped us. We needed that. But we need to be strong to help carry your burden now and to help carry others' burdens and, and, and be that example that you can carry a burden. I believe this with all my heart. One of, the, one, of the, one of the great problems we have in the church today, in modern church, is this. There's such an emphasis on the leaders doing everything I believe this with all my heart. Every member should be a minister. You know, we have titles, we have different positions, and you know, don't get caught up on all that. We're all servants. Every member should be a minister, and everyone has a capacity where you can serve. Some people won't be up here like this. Some people will be kind of more behind the scenes, and that's, that's where they, they thrive. They love that. Some people are going to be more obvious. Let's not, for, you know, let's not see that, oh this, oh, this whole show runs and thrives on pastor. No, 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 no. There's a lot going on behind the scenes for this to be a successful ministry. In fact, I don't, it's the nature of it, the fact that I'm up here before you every single week, the nature of it, you're going to see me a lot. But I don't like my name attached to things. I don't like just kind of, you know. I know there, there, there are guys out there that their church puts out pamphlets and brochures and, and magazines and all this stuff, and the pastor's picture is like on every single page. It's like, it's not about you. Just, just serve the people. So here we see the leader's example of diligence. Paul, Timothy, Silas, they worked hard. They said, as you know, when we were with you, this is what we did. We didn't eat anyone's bread uh, for nothing. We worked hard for it. We don't want to be chargeable to you. We don't want to be a stumbling block. He commands them to work. Very pointed command. Guys, get busy. Some of you have, have, have lost sight of this thing. You still have responsibilities here. Don't become so heavenly minded you're of no earthly good. Right? In fact, I, I believe this. If you're properly heavenly minded, you'll be more earthly good. You'll be more diligent. You'll be more at it. Why? Because you're storing up treasures in heaven. But if all you're doing is, wait, Lord, come rescue us. Have you seen CNN lately? Have you seen what's going on in our country? Rescue me. God says, no, no, this should be motivating you. That the, time, the, the clock is ticking. Time is running out. Go get busy. That should be the motivation. Command to work. And then we see it in our Christian life as well. Let's be diligent in all areas, in all lives. We ought to embrace the spirit of diligence really in all areas. We need to be examples of our family, examples of one another. Uh, let us not be lazy. That is the scourge of the ministry. Now, I understand. Uh, I understand, you know, a lot of people, you guys, you know, you work full-time jobs and all this stuff, and they start talking about working in ministry, talking about being busy. Um, again, we have this example from the Thessalonian church. It's pretty amazing. But there should be also a refreshment aspect of ministry. When we come together, there should be times of joy and food <laughs> and just fellowship. But that's not the goal. That should be recharging us to go and do more for the Lord Jesus Christ. We have to be diligent about this thing. We have to be encouraging one another and challenging one another, equipping one another, 
edifying one another. Why? For the work of the ministry. So that God can grow us and God could use us. And that really is the challenge uh, this morning. I hope that was a blessing to you. Why don't we go ahead and stand together this morning quietly.